Well, man, if you think mandrakes were weird last week, wait until this passage. Um, it's, uh, there's only a, f- a couple weird things, but it's going to be good. Um, I want to take you back real quick um, to your childhood. I think everybody played on the playground, right, if, somewhere. Or you, you potentially, whether if you weren't athletic, you, uh, you were like, we could play dodgeball. I can play dodgeball even if I'm not athletic or something. Teams had to be picked, right? Who gets picked first when teams are being picked? The people who are athletic, right? <laughs> Most of the time, right? Like it's, it's, the, it's the fastest people. It's the tallest people, the quickest people, right? It's, it's the people who most likely would help you win whatever game you're about to play. So I always thought that it was really funny um, when, uh, when I got older, um, because I think I might have done this when I was younger, but like I, I, I thought it was really funny when I got older, and I would see high school and college athletes who are ridiculously gifted um, being cocky and prideful about their gift. You know, like it's like, bro, you're 6'9", you have a 7-foot wingspan, you should be able to dunk the basketball. You know, like why are you like, oh, you know, like that's it's not hard to do for you, you know, um, because like they honestly didn't work that hard to be able to be able to do that because it's God-given. Like, God blessed them in that way, right? Because you can't teach athleticism. You can't teach height. You can't teach speed, right? You, you just can't. You can't teach a 40-inch vertical leap, no matter how hard you try. Now, when I was growing up, they had this thing called Air Alert. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that before. But um, I was like, you know, 5'8", little, little white kid who couldn't jump that high. You know, the top of my fingertips was like 7'6", so I could touch the rim, which I thought was pretty good. But then I was like, air alert, promise, kind of like Converse's to make you run faster, jump higher. And you get a couple more inches on my vertical, maybe I could dunk, right? Well, it didn't work because I'm not naturally going to jump 40 inches, right? Because that's not something the Lord gave me. Now, maybe... Y'all have this picture of your mind, like, of people on the playground. Um, maybe you need a mental image. Do y'all remember the uh, Capital One commercial with Charles Barkley and all the kids picking? Let me help you. There's a picture, right? So, like, they're, they're about to play three on three, right? And you got the captains over here, and, and the girl thinks way too long about who she should pick first to be on her team. And she's like, ah, uh, uh, And she goes, Ah, Charles, and he goes, yes, I still got it, you know, like, it's like, bro, you're the natural pick, right, it's a no-brainer, right, that, that team with Charles on it is going to win, like, absolutely no-brainer, and so I think, that, like, that's the picture that I get in my mind when I think about Laban and Jacob in this narrative tonight, like, Laban wants Jacob on his team, and we're going to see why he wants him on his team so much, because he knows that, that he's a blessing, right? And, and God has blessed some people, like, naturally. Like, some people have a natural athleticism. Some people have naturally um, musical ability, which is awesome. Some people are just naturally intellectually blessed. They are academically gifted, right? Some people are, are mechanically gifted. And, and so the, the major theme okay, for the passage tonight, is simply God is the giver of all blessings. 
If you have any blessings in your life, God is the giver of all blessings. And we know from last week's passage, right, that the, the birth wars were wild. Like there was some crazy stuff going on, right? And Jacob finds himself in a mess. He's like, try to put yourself in a situation. It's really hard to, but like he's in a distant land. He's sojourning. He's got four wives and a lot of kids now, right? In the, in the midst of all of this mess, God still brings about his promises, Right? God's promises are not going to be hindered by the mess that these people are getting in because of their sin. Right? God still provides 12 sons to Jacob, which would eventually be the 12 tribes of Israel. And Leah's two sons, Levi and Judah, would be the priestly and royal lines of Israel. And Rachel's son, Joseph, would, would be used by God to save Israel during famine. Jacob himself would eventually be showered by sovereign grace. And God would change his name from Jacob to Israel. There's still one problem. They're still in Haran. They haven't gone back to Canaan. And so the 14 years of service to Laban is up. Jacob wants to take his family and get home. All right, so let's pick up in the story. Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to them, Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you because you are sovereign. You are our sovereign God who has blessed us. If we have any blessings whatsoever, it's all from you. And we know, Lord, that tonight it is a blessing just to be in this place. It's a blessing to hear your word. It's a blessing to read your word. It's a blessing to exalt the name of Jesus in song. And I pray that right now that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, that we might see in your word things we have never seen before, that the Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts, and that you would bless us tonight. Those who are in Christ would be blessed even more, and those who are not, Lord, I pray that you would draw them into your kingdom tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Jacob wants to go home, right? He's, he's been at Uncle Laban's house way too long, way longer than he anticipated, right? So he's trying to get back home. He's trying to travel back down south, and he's like, hey, Laban, I fulfilled all of my obligations to you, and, and so now you need to let me go. Let me take my wives and my kids and go. And so Laban doesn't want Jacob to leave, not because Laban loves Jacob, not because Laban loves his daughters, not because Laban loves his grandchildren, right? Laban doesn't want to miss out on the blessing that God has provided simply because Jacob is there and Jacob is blessed. Verse 27, Laban doesn't answer Jacob at all. Right? He, Jacob asked to leave. Laban doesn't answer him. He said he's like, he's trying to be sly and smooth-tongued. Right? He tries to use flattery. He tries to bribe him. One commentator said, some commentators want to tone this down, the direct meaning of the text, I have learned by divination, by saying Laban really means I've learned by experience. But there is no linguistic justification for this. So this this phrase, I've learned by divination, doesn't mean I've learned by experience. It doesn't mean I've learned by diligently observing, right? It actually, that Hebrew word, I looked it up. It's interesting you, how you say it. It's, it's nahash. Nahash. I thought about a college professor I had. His name was Herbert Hash. 
he was an interesting dude. But this, this word in Hebrew means omen, enchantment, fortune-telling, right? So you can't get around it. It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. It says, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. So Laban learns that God's blessed him because of Jacob, and he wants Jacob to name his price. He knows it's good to have him on the team. He knows it's, it means prosperity. He knows it, it means success. And Laban honestly didn't need to use divination to find that out, right? Like, it was obvious. Uh, Laban even acknowledged, like, the, we know the Lord has provided this, you know, but he doesn't acknowledge that the Lord has done this in faith, okay? The common denominator for Jacob, for his blessing was Jacob's presence, as Jacob is going to point out here in a second. Like, before I came, you weren't really blessed, but since I've been here, you've been blessed tremendously, right? So his presence was the blessing, which made me ask a question of myself. Maybe you can ask the question of yourself. Is your presence a blessing or a burden for people? Is your presence, like when you're around people, do people love for you to be around? Or like, oh man, here comes that person again. Do people want to be around you? Right? Do, do people enjoy being around you? Do you display the joy of the Lord? No, I'm not trying to say that like Jacob was a joy to be around. That's not what this text is saying. But his presence was a blessing. And, and we knew that Jacob knew that his presence was a blessing because of what he says in verses 29 and 30. And Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So Jacob knows that Laban has profited greatly over the last 14 years of him working for him. And Jacob acknowledges that it's the Lord who's blessed him, right? There, there's nothing intrinsically about Jacob or Laban that deserves God's blessing. This is just God's sovereign grace. Like God is the giver of the blessing. And so I wanted to have a little special side note here, okay? This turns the prosperity gospel on its head. And if you've never heard of the prosperity gospel, simply it's, it's the gospel that people, some people preach to say that God wants you to be happy, he wants you to be healthy, and he wants you to have uh, stacks of cash in your hand. Like that's the prosperity gospel in a nutshell. Right? But this is clearly the opposite of that. Like We learn from Jacob and Laban's life that it wasn't due to an abundance of faith that God blessed Laban or Jacob. Right? God had sovereignly taken the initiative to reveal himself to Jacob. He'd sovereignly graced Jacob with all these blessings of anyone who was around him. And it wasn't because of anything that Jacob did to earn it. He didn't earn it. Right? It, was, it was God's generosity. Because he blessed Jacob. It wasn't anything Jacob did. It wasn't anything he had not done. It wasn't anything Jacob had. It wasn't anything Jacob didn't have. It was all God. And so this week, I'm going to put a little bit more information about the prosperity gospel in the further Genesis resources in the email. Um, if you don't get those, you can sign up for those on the website. But I'd highly recommend just really quickly two resources. The first one is called For the Gospel. 
Now, For the Gospel is an organization. They have a website. They have videos. They have podcasts. Um, There's an excellent resource for learning sound doctrine. It was started by a pastor whose name is Costi Hinn. Um, and have you ever heard of Benny Hinn? Yeah, his uncle. Pa- Costi was... Uh, redeemed, saved out of the prosperity gospel movement, and, uh, and he is sold out for Jesus, loves the gospel, and so it's excellent resource. Highly encourage you to look into that, and the second one is American Gospel, Christ Alone. A lot of you probably heard of that. It's an excellent documentary. came out in 2018, but it explores what is the gospel in light of, like, the American dream that we live in, in light of the prosperity gospel that you hear preach or you might see on bookshelves in Walmart in the Christian reading section, stuff like that. So, side note over, back to the narrative. Uh, Jacob told Laban that he was blessed because of God. And so now, he's like, hey man, your family's been blessed because I've been here. I want to provide for my own family now, and I want to get out of here. And so Laban answers, essentially saying, name your price. Name your price, bro. Verse 31. He said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. Jacob's like, I don't want anything from you. Because if you give me something, you're going to hold it over my head. You're going to try to cheat me. So I don't want anything from you. Instead, he proposes this. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from it every speckled speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So Jacob puts forward this proposition to Laban and basically says, let's do it this way. So you know I'm not lying, so I can't cheat you, so you can't cheat me, right? There's no way to fake this. This is what we should do. One commentator said it's important to note that these are rare colors for animals, Goats are normally dark colored and sheep are normally white. Jacob's appealing to Laban's sense of greed and deception. Laban thinks that he is going to receive Jacob's labor and great blessings from Yahweh in exchange for a small price, a few oddly colored animals. Do y'all think Laban was excited about this proposition? Right, he was jacked. He was like, yes, I am pumped. This is a great idea. Right? He could hardly contain his excitement. So, so excited was he that he was like, I'm not even going to wait for you, Jacob, to do this. I'm going to start on your proposition on my own. I'm going to separate the flocks by myself because Jacob had proposed to do that, but Laban's going to do it. Look at verse 34. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all of the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So Laban agrees to Jacob's terms, but he's once again scheming, he's conniving, right? He's plotting and he's like, I got the best of this joker. He's like, this young guy, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I am totally taking advantage of him, right? He, he does the separating himself and he does it because he doesn't trust Jacob and he, he's looking out for his own, right? You ever known anybody who just looks out for themselves? They're looking out for number one. 
always looking out for himself, always protecting themselves. He, he wants Jacob to fail. He wants to succeed more, right? He wants Jacob to receive as little wages as possible for the work that he's going to do. And the reason he agrees to Jacob's proposition is because the deal really did favor Laban. I mean, realistically, logically, it just made more sense that Laban's going to make more money out of this deal. He's going to be more prosperous. And Laban didn't want Jacob to stay because he loved Jacob. Laban loved Laban. Laban loved what he got from Jacob. Laban thought, I'm going to be even more prosperous, even more successful than I ever was because of this silly deal. And now we get into some weird practices, all right? Jacob tries to use some tricks, tries to be crafty, tries to be clever. Look at verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. That's P-L-A-N-E, not P-L-A-I-N. And peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So this is very strange, right? It's pretty weird. Um, do you notice that Jacob, what's not in the text, is that Jacob doesn't run to the Lord. Jacob doesn't run to the Lord and say, hey, I need your help here. You said you were going to bless me. He doesn't run and say uh, and cry out to the Lord. He doesn't seek the Lord. He doesn't pray to the Lord. He's not trusting God's word already given to him that you were going to be blessed. Why? Because Jacob loved Jacob. Jacob loved Jacob's way. Jacob loved Jacob's strategy. He loved his methods, his plan. And so Jacob's trying to increase his own flock. He's trying to diminish Laban's flock. And it's believed that Jacob used some sort of folk medicine, like a, a selective breeding process to, to get what he wanted. I actually called one of my buddies from back home because he has goats and sheep. And I was like, have you ever heard of this? Does this work? He's like, no, there's no scientific basis for this whatsoever. Uh, Ken Hughes said, uh, superstitious folklore allowed that a vivid sight during mating would mark the outcome of the pregnancy. So Jacob held the superstition along with general Mesopotamian culture. Have you ever known anybody who's superstitious? Yeah? Maybe you're superstitious a little bit? Like when I thought, when I, whenever I think of superstition, I automatically think of Michael Jordan. I don't, know, I don't know why, but like, and maybe if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, he's the best basketball player in the world, okay? Um, and so he played at the University of Chapel Hill. He won a national championship for them while he was in college. Okay, and then he went to the NBA and played for the Chicago Bulls. And when he played for the Chicago Bulls, he would put on his UNC basketball shorts underneath his Chicago Bulls jersey. Why would he do that? Because he was superstitious. He was like, this is going to give me success. I'll be better because of this, right? He thought it was going to give him good luck. And Jacob thinks by putting these sticks in the trough that it's going to help determine the outcome of the offspring, right? There was this common belief that a vivid sight during conception would mark the offspring. Now, I don't know about you, but like this seems just as silly as Rachel saying, I'm going to use some mandrakes to get pregnant. 
Right? If you didn't use, Brody said do your research last week. So if you didn't do your research and look up mandrakes, then that's your fault. But you could also just go watch Harry Potter and they'll explain it to you too. Um, but whether it's boys or girls, whether it's sheep or goats, right? God is the one who creates life. God is the one who gives life. And God's providence extends even to the color of livestock. So superstitious breeding practices has nothing to do with it at all. All right? Now, if you, there is something today called Jacob's sheep. If you've never seen one, I think we have a picture. But that's what Jacob's sheep look like. It's a real thing. It's kind of weird. They are speckled and spotted, and they have four horns. It's very interesting. But you go Google Jacob's sheep. Um, we're going to pick it back up in verse 40 because it's going to get a little weirder. Uh, and Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Is that not the exact opposite description of him coming there over 14 years ago? Because right, this would have taken years to actually work more and build up this amount of wealth. Like, and also, that last line there, that description in verse 43, sounds an awful lot like Abraham. How, how God blessed Abraham and made Abraham wealthy, right? Once again, it's God who is the giver of the blessing. Jacob began his sojournings with absolutely nothing, and he begins to flourish and become prosperous because of the Lord. Now, Jacob might have thought that he was clever using the breeding tricks, right? He was like, oh, this worked. Ultimately, it was God who was fulfilling his promises that he made to him back in Genesis 28. Jacob's prosperity was not due to his cultural trips or, or tips or tricks or, or anything else. Like, God did it. God did it. It wasn't Jacob. The God of Abraham and Isaac was proving that he has chosen to bless Jacob, and he increased his possessions greatly. So our, our feeble efforts go only so far in bringing in blessings. Right? There's a massive difference. Actually, there's an eternity's worth of difference between earthly blessings and eternal blessings. Jacob didn't have to scheme, trick, or be clever. All he had to do was trust the Lord and work hard. God had already determined to bless Jacob. Nothing Jacob did of his own accord brought in the blessing. In fact, Jacob demonstrated kind of like a works-based prosperity belief instead of faith in God's word. I love how personal Ian Duguid got in his commentary when he said this, whether you are struggling with a besetting sin, overwhelming personal problem, broken relationship, or unmet desire, if you are anything like me, you immediately search about for something you can do to deliver yourself. The problem with that approach is that even if it works in solving your problem, as Jacob's strategy seemed to, it simply confirms you in your deeper sin of unbelief in God and the gospel. Self-salvation strategies are the exact opposite of dependence and trust in God. 
Like how we need to depend and trust in the Lord. But God graciously worked in spite of Jacob's lack of faith, right? God's sovereign grace is on display in Jacob's life. He's not demonstrating faith and trust in the Lord, yet God is still being sovereign, right? We can learn from this passage, we should learn from this passage, that we need to trust and depend on the Lord, right? One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He'll make your path straight if you trust in him, if you depend on him, if you look to him. We can't earn God's blessings. We can't deliver ourselves out of our problems. We can't deliver ourselves. Like You can't set yourself free if you're a slave to sin. You You can't give yourself salvation. You can't earn that. You can't earn the blessings of being in Christ, which leads to the main point of the message tonight that God is the sovereign giver of earthly blessings and eternal blessings. God is the sovereign giver of earthly blessings and eternal blessings. Any prosperity, any success that we have is not because of our own hand, but it's because of God. In closing, here's some just personal application questions for you. How has God blessed you? How has God blessed you? Can you identify God's sovereign grace in your life? Can you look at and go back and reflect over your life and see where the Lord has blessed you? And are you relying on your own tactics? Are you relying on, on your own methods for being successful? Are you, are you relying on your own maybe self, salvation strategy to get through life? Or are you trusting the Lord? Are you, are you chasing temporary earthly pleasures instead of chasing the Lord? If you want a really, really good New Testament picture of God's sovereign grace, and his blessings. You, you don't need to look any further than the conversion of Saul. Go read Acts chapter 9. Saul was hell-bent on destroying the early church. Saul was imprisoning and killing anyone who believed in and followed Jesus. He was unmatched in his zeal as a Jew, and yet Jesus sovereignly intercedes in Saul's life on the road to Damascus. Jesus showered Saul with sovereign grace when he wasn't looking for it. Jesus blessed Saul with salvation, and then God changed Saul's name to Paul. And then later, God would communicate through the Apostle Paul, and he would pen Ephesians chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And in that book are some of the most incredible blessings we could ever possibly read as followers of Jesus. Here's just a few. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace. God is sovereign in his earthly blessings and in his eternal blessings. There is no blessing greater for any person than to be found in Christ Jesus. There's not. What blessings we have today in the church, untold. We don't even comprehend them, right? As the old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Well, God's promise to Jacob 
yes, was material blessings. He promised him people. He promised him land, right? He, he promised possessions. He would increase. His promise to us in the new covenant is mainly spiritual blessings. Now, yes, Jesus promised, right, that you would not go without need, that he would provide for your daily needs, right? But he didn't promise people. He didn't promise land. He didn't promise possessions. Spiritual blessings are primarily what he promised. And what that means for us today is that the spiritual blessing that you would know God, that his word would be written on your heart, that the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of you, that you'd be forgiven of your sins. That, that God the Father is the source and origin of all blessings that we enjoy. That Jesus is the sphere in which every divine blessing is given and received. And that the Holy Spirit applies these blessings to our lives so that we can say that these blessings were given to us in Christ and they're spiritual. John Stott said this, Christians are Trinitarians. We believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We affirm with gratitude and joy that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That is, every blessing of the Holy Spirit has given us by the Father if we are in the Son. So the last question, and by far the most important question of the evening is, are you in Christ? There is no greater blessing than being in Christ Jesus. If you know that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then tonight, just repent and believe. Turn from any self-sufficiency, any self-salvation strategies that you might have. Stop relying on yourself. Repent and believe, and you will be blessed beyond measure. Because God's grace is sufficient. It is enough. And if you are in Christ, then count your blessings. Right? Like, remind yourself. Go read Ephesians 1 and 2 this week and circle how many times it says in Christ Jesus or in him or through him. And it's a very Trinitarian book. Just go read Ephesians 1 and 2. And I pray that it would lead you to worship the Lord because ultimately all of our blessings have been given to us in Christ. And our only appropriate response could be that we would worship him wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word tonight. God, I praise you that you are sovereign in how you bless your creation and how you bless people. Lord, any blessing that we have, the fact that we walked in this room tonight, the fact that, that we can hear, that we can see, that we can touch, that we can taste. Lord, these are all blessings. But Lord, how much greater is the blessing of knowing you personally? I pray that tonight, God, that you would advance your kingdom and draw people to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would show them that there is no greater blessing than knowing you. There is no greater blessing than fearing you. There is no greater blessing than holding your word and reading your word and worshiping you as the one true, all-satisfying, all-pleasing, all-loving God. We love you, Lord, and we need you tonight. And we praise you and worship you. I pray that right now we would worship you in spirit and in truth because you have truly blessed us in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.